Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm all right. We are... It is the first week of teaching. <laughs> oh, that's right. And oh, my God. My kids Pretty are... Much. Yeah, my kids are maybe not exactly ready to go to bed on time. And so then I was like, I need I need to get downstairs. <laughs> yeah. This needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, you're like, please go to sleep. Go to sleep now. Oh, my God. Good night. Bye. <laughs> that's right. All my friends who are teachers here in New York, they're all... They're like, yep. this is the week from... Hell, I forgot. This oh, is it. Like, what's happening? My guest told me in interview, and I quote, I have this thing about ensemble casts. But what I liked most is how much attention he paid to each one of his cast members. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 465. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Mark Oshiro. Mark's debut YA novel is called Anger is a Gift, and it is about a boy named Moss, Moss Jeffries, and the tragic loss of a friend and more than that, and a school responding to student protest and security in a way all too real for many of our pre-adult students throughout the country. Much of this story comes from Mark's own life experiences, but I'll leave it to our conversation to illuminate those spots. This was a powerful story that I absolutely devoured over audiobook, and I'm so sincerely excited for you to meet Moss Jeffries and hear his story through this conversation. Thank you to our sponsors, Gallery Nucleus and Storyteller Academy, the Highlights Foundation, and Viz Media for helping make today's episode possible. And before we get started, I wanted to let you all know that I'll be in Austin, Texas at the Writing Barn, November 1st through 4th, as part of the Complete Picture Book Intensive. I'll be joining picture book author and illustrator Evan Turk and Abrams editorial director Tamar Brazis. It's going to be amazing. There are just a few spaces available, so visit thewritingbarn.com to learn more. And now please welcome my guest, Mark Oshiro, the author of Anger is a Gift. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mark Oshiro. I'm glad that we get to talk tonight, man. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> this is, I'm just going to out it because no one ever gets to hear this part and it's my favorite. Um, I've had some of the best pre-recording talk ever with you, so I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to talk on the record with you. This is going to be the most beautiful mess <laughs> any of your listeners have ever experienced. I'm so excited. 
<laughs> well, Mark, for everyone that might not know you yet or might not have um, been introduced to your book yet, would you mind introducing yourself to people listening, who you are, what you do? Let them know. Cool. Well, my name is Mark Oshiro. I am based in New York, even though I am a Southern California boy at heart. Um, I am sort of my, my day job, full-time job is I have been running these review sites called Mark Reads and Mark Watches, where I read and watch things unspoiled. I've been doing it for, oh, very, this, this month, oh my God, it's been nine years. So I've, been, I've, I've well had this done. really weird job thing for nine years, and then earlier this year, I published my very first book. And so Anger is a Gift is my debut novel. Um, it is something that I worked on for five and a half years. Uh, you know, part of it was because I had spent so much time writing nonfiction, and that's sort of where life took me. And um, yeah, and so now I'm, I'm transitioning into doing both nonfiction and writing books for teenagers, which is one of my favorite things, and I, I, I love it dearly. Yes, and so Anger, Anger is a Gift is my book. It came out in May. Um, it is a contemporary novel about a bunch of teenagers in West Oakland, California, who decide to stage a walkout at their high school when one of their friends is injured by newly installed metal detectors. Um, it's the book of my heart. It's very, both very personal and a lot of it is autobiographical. Uh, it is a story about kids learning the power of uniting with one another and with allies and finding out that, you know, you don't have to be an adult and you don't have to be an experienced activist to change the world. Yeah. It is a, it is a big, beautiful, wonderful book. It was a story Thank that you. I just, man, Moss. Oh my word. This I boy. This I, boy. there's, I have oh, so many, so much, I'm, so much to talk so about. Much. <laughs> I, maybe I should just start here. Um, okay. okay. Uh, how do I word this? So, okay. So Mark, how much of you is in Moss and I got to go the other way. How much of Moss is in you? Oh, boy. Uh, there are... So, you know, I started planning this book out in 2012. Okay. And, you know, as I was developing the story, and I don't know if you know this, but Anger's a Gift used to be a science fiction novel. And over the process of writing the manuscript and editing it with, you know, critique partners and then trying to get an agent, it was highly recommended to me by uh, an agent I was querying that maybe I was trying to shove two books into the same book. And he thought I had a very good contemporary story and a very good science fiction story. And, and maybe I should separate them and write two separate books. Um, and so throughout this process, though, um, as I was creating Moss and his, and his mother and his, and his friends and this sort of community family that he has, one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted Moss to feel as real as possible. Um, and I think for me, a lot of the, the books I've read as a kid, as a teenager, and, and as an adult, those are the ones that I sort of gravitate to, is these characters who feel so specific that they, they feel alive on the page. And one of the ways I did that was to be very honest about a lot of things I actually never really talked about. So, you know, I have the same panic disorder that Moss does. I, you know, have dealt with depression uh, and anxiety you know, since I was a kid. And, and it, it was one of those things where I was like, you can't write it, you can't write an experience that matches everyone's. 
So instead, I'm just going to very much commit to my own and just put what my experience was like on the page and just, you know, hope that people could appreciate how specific that was. So in a lot of ways, that is incredibly, incredibly autobiographical. Um, the reverse of that, though, is so I get I get a lot of people who are like, one of my favorite things about this book is Moss's relationship with his mother and the fact that he is so close to her that they they do have friction towards the end of the book, but it's ne- you never get that sense of like oh they're going to be separated they hate each other you know the that part people are like oh that's it felt so real and obvious that's got to be what your life was like and I was like nope <laughs> that is all fiction <laughs> um, a lot of anger's a gift is like wish fulfillment and that's okay. where I see the reverse of it is that I I imagine what it would have been like if I had had like a really solid group of kids who were my friends in high school who were okay with me being gay. Um, I grew up in a very, very conservative part of Southern California and I, I didn't, I was not out at all. Um, I did not have supportive parents. Um, and so I, I think that sort of stuff is, I was going to be very, very honest about myself in one way and have to just completely imagine you know, almost like an alternate timeline in my own life. What would it would would it have looked like if I'd had these sort of like positive support systems? Um, so that stuff is is all. It's weird how much it it, it affects how I make friendships now too. Like because I, I spent so much time building it that I'm like, you know, these are the kind of friends I still want, and I'm in my 30s now. Yeah. And I want friends exactly like Moss's friends, and oh I want to. Mark, I love like, that. Yeah, and it's it's affected me a lot because. I spent years writing, rewriting, writing, rewriting, and every draft, that core group of friends, I mean, part of it was it got smaller, because I have this thing about ensemble casts, and the first draft may have had, like, 300 characters on the show. Don't ever do that. It's a terrible idea. Um, and But the thing is, is that in focusing it, you know, I got to give each of these characters these really key moments with Moss. And as I found what those moments were, you know, both before you know, the book got sold to Tortine. And then afterwards with my editor, that was the big, our, all the big edits she had for me. She was like, I want him to have scenes with each one of these kids where it's just him and them and not like as a group because most of the scenes were as, as groups. And so as I was developing that, I was like, wait a second, I'm just writing the kind of friendships that I want to have and the kind of relationships that I want to have with other people. Um, and, and that is not something you really expect when you're writing a book. So... That's that's how Moss affected me. I see. I love that. I love the way that that in writing it, you were working out part of yourself and sort of yeah. understanding yourself better. And then the the willingness to be that vulnerable to really explore those questions or that, as you were sort of saying that, that like that like alternate timeline for your life, yeah. um, allowed allowed for this story to exist and to still feel genuine. I, I have to say that I think for me, one of the things that made the relationship with Moss and his mom feel so intimate was as simple as just that he calls her mama. He calls her mama all the yeah, time. And that to me... That is super intentional. It just feels so close, right? So maybe maybe it's those little choices that, that, that the details are what bring it close. And I love thinking back to I was saying to you earlier that I was that I listened to the audiobook and we'll talk more about that but I noticed the moments that you gave Moss 
with each of his friends, as well as the dynamic of them together, and what happens, uh, as we'll get into later, when, like, one particular friend walks into the room, or when someone leaves, and how that can open up or close down the conversation, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, th- I think that, yeah, I think that that we really are are allowed to see Moss, then, from all of these different angles, and really, I mean, really, in a way... Um, we also get to be a friend of Moss's or at least someone that right. that sees him and, and for all that that means to see him. I think one of the things I was also very conscious of is that in being vulnerable, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there about anxiety and depression that even my closest friends have never really just sat them down and, and said, hey, this is what this is like. Um, and it's, it's mostly because I've never needed to because they're such supportive, great friends that they get it. So I've never had these moments where I'm like, Hey, I need to tell you what an episode is like. They just know like, oh, you're sad. We're we're going to leave you alone for like a day. Now we'll check in with you tomorrow. And so I have this really great support network now as an adult. But when I was writing it, I, I what I want I didn't want to get to a point where everything felt so dark that it was hopeless. Um and so that's a lot of where his friends come in is they don't treat him like a monster. They don't treat him like he's this weirdo for feeling sad, for being emotional. They're all just like, we get it. We've been friends with you, you know, particularly Esperanza, who's been there the longest out of any of the, mm. the, the entire group. You know, that's the one thing that she's strongest with with him is that she she can recognize, you know, when an episode is going to happen, what a panic attack looks like and what he prefers in terms of treatment. Um, I mean, even that panic attack scene in the very beginning. In the very beginning, yeah. Of, it's at the end of the first chapter, beginning in the second one. Um, uh, it's largely stayed unedited. It used to be a little bit later in the book. And, you know, when I was editing it with my editor, she was like, we should open with that scene. Um, but it's pretty much stayed the same. And one of the, even one of the details in it is something that I realized I'd never said aloud, which is that um, when I have a, a panic attack, um, texture, the textures of things feel weird. So there's a moment where he drops his 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 um it's you know basically like a train pass his card on the ground and he can't pick it up and then that's the thing that frustrates him so much that he's just like oh and i i didn't realize i'd never talked about how sometimes even the most innocuous innocent thing can be the thing that just sort of like pushes you over and so once it happens though i was like it you know one of the things i was very conscious of is every time he has one of these really sad moments there's something very soft and loving and accepting that happens immediately afterwards. Um, and it's a pattern throughout the book of, of every one of these moments. I, wa- I want to be honest about the darkness, but then also say, hey, this is what it looks like when you have awesome people around you and how you sort of like a model behavior. Like if your friend is feeling this way, here's a really great way to offer them support. You know, no one is condescending about it. You know, they're just very honest. Um, and, and that was something that I, I was very conscious of as as i was like crafting you know the the story you know it's that it's that comfort paired with i imagine even being a reader who who um has panic attacks to read that and know that you may perhaps be triggered by by seeing this scene this what's going on with moss but knowing too that that there is comfort there is release um there is there are solutions i feel like 
I don't know. There's so many things I could just, there's so much of you on this page, Mark, that I just assume I must know you going into this because of the way you just treat, you just treat and treat and care and care for Moss. And really one of the things I, I, I really wanted to make sure we talked about, and I I knew we would, but is that Moss is gay and we really get to experience his first relationship. And this is to say that he's known that he's attracted to boys, but he hasn't had a chance to understand what that really looks like or or how it manifests with, with another real person um, that, that, that reflects that back. And, then in a space that that allows that that welcomes that um and my god if those moments i'm gonna like tear up right now oh my word <laughs> those moments with javier we're just, fine we're adults we're okay we can make it through um they're beautiful <laughs> okay. though everything for how for how flirtatious flirtatious that javier is for how much um yeah. we just see moss uh having those moments of like can i allow myself to be attracted to this guy in front of my mom yeah. or in front of his, all of those, just all of those and, and nuances. how scary that is. Of course. It's so, it's so scary to be attracted to someone alone. And I think given a lot of the other stuff that's going on in the book, that's one of the reasons why I chose to set it in the Bay area in a place where it is realistic that a kid doesn't have to necessarily worry about coming out. Okay. And so that narrative is nowhere in the book. It's just not there. There's no real homophobia of any form. Um, and for me, it was like the, the stuff that you're dealing with at school is kind of bad enough. So I was like, I, I think there needed to be some levity in that. And so what was so, I guess, revealing is is getting to write that and then talk about, you know, insecurity versus reality. Where, you know, I think one of my favorite scenes is about halfway through the book when I think on their first date, it is on their, oh my God. Oh, that scene was so fun to write. Um, But there's that moment where like (laughs) Moss has to explain to Javier, my brain, you know, my brain doubts everything everyone says. And Javier's response, I I was like, I've I've had to have that conversation with people. And the best response I ever got from a partner was, well, then I will counter your doubts every single time. Um, and I was like, God, that is such a romantic, you know, such an accepting gesture. Um, and for me, it was, you know, I also wanted to have like a queer Latinx boy just be soft and good and not necessarily have to deal with a lot of the stuff that comes from being, you know, brown and queer. Um, and so being, it being in Oakland allowed me to just lean into them just being disgustingly cute. Um, just did so much. And I, and I love it. I, I have no regrets about how that is portrayed. I love it. And I think too, it also turns the focus to what's going on at school and the, the ability for these, these young people to have a voice and to, to make a stand and to assert themselves in this school and not have to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't need to be in this place where every book with a queer character is, is centered on um, the, the person's queerness and the struggle of coming out. Like we can have a story where right. their queerness is yeah. okay. We're at a place where it can be okay. It doesn't, it isn't certainly always okay, but it doesn't mean that in every story, 
with a queer character that we can't show that, you know, for some of us, it's just okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's it on the nose is, is, and presenting it as okay. Um, particularly from other figures, um, in Moss's life. Um, you know, oh, yeah, that uh, Esperanza is like, uh, come on, he's cute. Mind. He's fl- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, what do you do? Well, I'd always friends. Like, I love that scene where they're at Esperanza's mom's house, and then they all just turn on Javier, and they're like, yeah, we're going to interrogate you right here. Oh, is this embarrassing? Yeah, too bad. You have to get through the gauntlet of all of us. Um, and, and, and you know what a lot of that stuff is, is what I've seen happen with a lot of my straight friends, where often, you know, in those rare cases where I happen to be the only queer person in the room, you know, I still see that dynamic as well. And I'm like, well, why can't, we have this as well, you know, and, and um, so, you know, it was playing with a lot of those tropes where you you might normally see almost in like a romantic comedy and like that, this is definitely not a romantic comedy, but I liked having those those elements in there. I think it made his friend group feel more vibrant and more real. And like, you know, they're kind of like they're his ride or die. Like they're there. They're there for the long run. So if they're there for the long run, this guy better be in there for the long run, too. So I yeah. I, you know, I could talk to you really, literally this entire conversation could just be about how much I love their relationship. And I know I can tell from you, I can tell from your timbre that you just love that relationship too. Uh, Of course, we know in this story that, that in order to propel the story forward, that um, really something tragic has to happen, but we didn't even get there yet. Right. We're centering on the school. um, And, and one thing that really, it's just not something I read about a lot, right? Um, which is why I think also this book brought my senses so awake. But I really uh, leaned into all of these moments of the um, the Oakland police getting all of this, like, how do you even describe it? That it's like army surplus serv- security stuff, whatever it is. It's not like, it's, it's yeah, like security equipment that they're inheriting that implies almost that they might not even know totally how it works, but they have it at their disposal. So they're going to use it uh, to control these teenagers or control the uh, public from from rioting or from uh, whatever. So we get right. we we the, the 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 kids in this book and also the reader. We just encounter these uh, these uh, technologies, if I can put it that way, that yeah. could be really it is. It really is. Yeah. You got some stuff here that well, I'm like, and so, this has got to be sci-fi. As you were saying sci-fi, and I'm like, nope, no, I'm sure no. I've seen that oh, before. And, and a, a really interesting thing happened, which is that the, the original draft was meant, it leaned much more heavily on the technology. And it was sci-fi, which is where I took these concepts, these very things, and then sort of exaggerated them. And, and the original book was meant as this sort of commentary on the ways that you know our world sort of uses technology to control people. So the original book was is was sort of the bones of this one, but it was this mystery of where is all of this this weird sort of futuristic tech coming from? Why does it exist? And why does it seem like our school is the only school that is affected by this stuff? There was sort of a, this thread that this the 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 Piedmont High School where Esperanza goes. Um, their school wasn't getting any of this stuff. So there was this, this mystery of like, what's going on here? Um, and so when I made the decision to change it to contemporary, this very bizarre thing happened, which is I was like, well, I have to cut all this stuff because if it's contemporary, none of this stuff is real. 
And so I, I ended up just using the things I based all of the sci-fi concepts on and you in, and including some of those in the book. Um, and so I still get people who email me, who come up to me at, you know, you know, book events or at festivals. And they're like, oh, how did you make up such and such? Or how, how did you make up this thing? And I have this very uncomfortable conversation of, oh, I didn't make up any of these things. Um, there is one of them that's in uh, – oh, so weird because I, I kind of don't want to spoil it. There's, there's a thing that looks like there, a bullhorn that is that thing. That is literally so the, the thing book, that I was going to say. That was the one – I've had that used against me. No. Oh. Yeah, in 2003 for the anti-war protest when I was in college – it was one of the very one of the most surreal experiences of my life, um, and it trying to describe it to people. It's one of the it's it's sort of the same conversation I have about anger as a gift. There is a certain group of people who read the book, and I don't want to say that they get it, but they understand the sort of framework it's in because they went to a high school like that. They dealt with police who are like the police in this book. Uh, they've been to protest. They understand what kettling is. There's, so they, there's, they, they understand the framework um, you know, that I'm basing the book off of. But then I'll meet people, uh, very understandably, who this is not their experience, and they think all of it's made up. And that I just, you know, just was like created all of these terms, and it's just my own you know, sort of like alternate contemporary timeline. And I get to watch them have that moment of, oh, now I'm really uncomfortable. I didn't know that these things were real. I didn't know these things were used. Wait, you're telling me they've been used on children in the... What? Like, um, I... It wasn't necessarily intentional, uh, but it, it's, it's, it's worked really well to, to... You know, here's the thing. You can't know everything. And there's no way, way for a person to know everything. And so some of the most rewarding conversations I've had about this book are with teens, you know, in places... Um, where they don't have resource officers, where they don't have metal detectors, who are like, wait, it, this is really some kid's reality somewhere else. And having getting to see that moment of awareness happen, you know, and you can literally see it on their face of that it dawning on them that there are people in this world who are treated differently than them. And then they ask, their next question is, well, why? Why does this happen? And why do they get treated this way, but we don't? Um, and it's such an interesting point to have like some really serious heavy conversations but i mean and that's the thing that's why i love writing for teens is they always are ready with the next question you know there's like that whole thing about you know like kids are always like why but why but why that's one of the best things about because they always have a why ready um you know and getting to talk to kids i did a lot of school visits in the spring um and i did a couple this summer to some academies here in new york and they're, they've all been, well, I'm just going to say it. I have vastly preferred their the conversations with them than with adults. They just ask better <laughs> questions and they have this sense of like, I want to know why you did this and I'm going to ask you very difficult questions, um, but I, I actually want to hear your answer. It's just, it's it's so pure and, and you know, that's not something I, I guess I ever really thought would happen, um, but it's been it's been such a rewarding part of this. And 
now a word from our sponsors. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Viz Media. Viz is excited to announce that Pokemon Adventures, the most popular and longest-running Pokemon comic, is now available digitally. Visit viz.com slash Pokemon to read a free preview of the beloved All Ages series. That's viz.com slash Pokemon. A special thank you to our friends at the Highlights Foundation, who host intimate and inspiring workshops for children's authors and illustrators. The Highlights Foundation offers more than 40 workshops each year for adults interested in writing and illustrating for children and young adult audiences. The workshops are held at their beautiful retreat center in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. You can also visit their campus for an unworkshop and have your own creative retreat with cozy, private lodging and three meals a day. Come alone or bring your critique group. You're sure to feel inspired. Register now for Getting to Know Your Novel. Spend six weeks with the online course, then take a month to work on your novel and finish the course with a retreat at the Highlights Foundation. This online, in-person course gives you the time and teaching you need to really get to know your novel. Check out highlightsfoundation.org for details. So if I tap into my teen self, you know, we're about the same age, I think. So if I go back, Mark, to think about, and I grew up in... uh, mostly I grew up in central Pennsylvania and then we moved down to outside of Baltimore for my dad's job. Um, But still I wasn't in uh, both in my high school there and here. I wasn't in a very diverse population and, and that doesn't necessarily matter for what I'm about to say, because where I was going to go is I feel like as a teen, I, I tended to feel like when people wrote stuff down, it was often because it was based on, a reality that they lived. Yeah. And when I became an adult, I sort of, it really sort of unlocked in me that like, Oh, I can make up anything I want, but perhaps there is something to that, that, that memory of as a teen, we are still figuring out the world and making, uh, our assumptions about the world and how it Mm -hmm. informs who we are and what we will stand for yeah. So that stands to say, especially with this story, with anger as a gift, that there's a lot you walk us through here. There's a lot you allow Moss to question. There's a lot where, um, so much I'm not going to give away because I'm not going to yeah. give away. But I mean, so Moss a lot is, of those, a lot of those questions are in like the last third of the book. Yeah. Yes. There's just a lot there though that is that is. What well, I, I guess where where I will go is that. Uh, and then I want to talk about the audiobook. But where I'll go yeah. is that so a lot of this becomes uh, growing tension between uh, the students and the police and the uh, increased security at this school that that ultimately leads to uh, a death of a student and how that uh, ripples through everything, through the community, through everything. But what I really valued was we don't really see it ripple through the community. We see it ripple through Moss and right. his world. And as you, through your storytelling, uh, allow his world to expand for us, the reader. We see this, uh, the effect of these events at this high school ripple out. And um, I love that mom, the mama, um, has been part of protest before because we right. learn we learn early on that Moss's dad was involved in something uh, in which he lost his life to 
to uh, some to police brutality and um it's never in any way heavily dealt that Moss is sort of perhaps trying to figure out do do we follow the path that the dad was following do we avenge do we there's sort of uh, that is an undercurrent but but ultimately sort of the big scene in this book of many the big scene involving the police station i can put it there that'll that'll give yeah. people a landmark where moss it feels as though moss on the turn of a dime decides i'm going to do something that to me was where really the title of your book uh really uh took hold for me i knew that that was a phrase that the mama shared with moss but to mm-hmm. see how moss used the gift of his anger to turn it into uh, an actionable choice in his community, in his life, in his in his story, um, yeah. was something that that I felt was so powerful because that was a moment where I felt like, oh my word, the story is going off the rails. I don't know what Moss is gonna do. Moss yeah. doesn't know what Moss is gonna do. Oh, and I didn't. I didn't know what I was gonna do. That. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand. Like, I, I. You know, I, I got this, uh, you know, I was querying an agent and, you know, it actually ended up being the wonderful gentleman who is now my agent, uh, Don Juan Song. But, you know, he was the one who had told me, like, you need to, I think you need to split these up. Um, and so the way I did it was I was like, okay, I'm going to rewrite this the outline as pure contemporary and then I'll write another outline as pure science fiction. And I'll figure out, I'll know in my heart which story is the better one to go with, you know, and I was like, I'll do the contemporary one first because it's. That one's going to be the hardest. I don't write contemporary. I write everything I've ever done has been science fiction or fantasy or like, you know, speculative fiction. So I took out all the science fiction stuff and rewrote the outline and I got to the bike ride after yes. the church, yes. which if, if you've read the book, you will know what I'm talking about. And I was like, OK, well, now I've reached the point where this has to completely diverge from the original. What am I going to do? And it came to me very suddenly as I was like... And it, he actually vocalizes my thought process, which is, whose fault is this? Why am I so angry at my friends and my mom and my community? Why, why am I actually angry? And he's like, oh, these are the people who are responsible. And it was like this, I just got this rush of energy. So I, I, you know, I wrote the outline up to the, the police station thing. <laughs> It is so weird talking about it like this. I love it though. Don't you feel uh, like I feel like it was? I feel was like Mark. So... If I say it, I'm betraying Moss, and I can't no, do I that. No, I don't want to spoil. I've because... gone through this thing with him. I'm not going to do that to him. No, I don't want. To, I don't want to either. Because it's for me. It was I. I think what worked so beautifully. Because I want you to know, I I wrote the outline of of that part. And normally, what I do with an outline is I'm just like this person goes here and does this thing. It's very short. I was writing full on like prose. I was like, and then Moss does this and he bikes past this and sees, like I was just fully lost myself in it. And I just kept adding one thing after another thing, after another thing, after another thing. And by the end, I did all of this in one day. I rewrote the whole outline. I got to the end and I changed one thing from that to by the time it got to my editor's hands. Um, It never never really changed. Uh, Everything you read in there was planned from that moment on, uh, it was just this thing where I was like, well, if this domino falls over, yeah. oh, yeah. what if this domino falls over? And it just kept going and it kept going and it kept going. And it was so exciting that I, I never even bothered with the science fiction outline. I was like, 
first of all, I was like, damn it, he was right. Now I got to rewrite this whole thing. <laughs> but it was such an, it, it gave me such momentum because I was like, this is his story. Um, and I, I don't know, for me, it was, I love personalizing activism through one person and showing that even though the community does end up rallying behind Moss, you know, in many ways, through, actually throughout the book, uh, I just really wanted to show, you know, hopefully so that other teenagers could see that even one person can make such an immense different, difference. And like, that's the thing. Moss makes his decision. He does this thing. And one of my favorite things of writing about it is once he does it, he's like, uh, wait, what do I do now? Like, right. <laughs> and, and then that moment of like, he watches it become a snowball and then turn into an avalanche. And he's like, oh, what did I just do? And I, I love that because I think that's something I struggled a lot with as a teenager too, is that, you know, your actions can have such immense consequences, both good and bad. And, and I loved showing him deal with something that felt just epic and huge. Um, yeah. I, felt, I, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it felt to me so pure. What was going yeah. on there, it just, I, it, I, I just loved how, for so much of the book, Moss is sort of questioning things, trying to figure things out. We get that. But those moments, it, it, it just, it felt exhilarating. It really, I mean, you really, kudos to you, writing and also your editor but it just felt it it just felt energetic it felt alive it felt um it just propelled through the end yeah. it was just it was awesome and now a brief word from our sponsors the children's book podcast is sponsored by storyteller academy learn the art of storytelling from published authors illustrators and editors at storyteller academy Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast are invited to a free mini-class. Enroll today at www.storytelleracademy.com slash wonder. Or click on the Storyteller Academy banner at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Gallery Nucleus, an art gallery and bookstore where you can find prints, books, and other gifts from some of your favorite children's book illustrators like John Clausen, Christian Robinson, and more. Gallery Nucleus is offering listeners 15% off your next purchase by entering in the promo code WONDER18. Visit gallerynucleus.com to discover more or click on the Gallery Nucleus banner at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. We're just going to need to meet up in real life so we can nerd out and actually share the spoilers um, and not yes, worry about yes. all the people listening. But I do want to, um, to to honor your time, but I also want to make sure we, we swing back because I was saying to you that I listened to the audiobook of Anger is a Gift and I really enjoyed it. And um, I know that you um, are the one that narrated the audiobook. I wanted just to hear a little bit, if you don't mind, about how... Yeah even how the audiobook became an option, but then how uh, you got involved in it. Yeah, so um, part of what I've been doing, at least for the last five or six years, is I've been reading things aloud for a long time. I did you know, I was doing public speaking when I was in high school, um, and I started, you know, with my review site where I review books, is, you know, part of what I do is, is I have a YouTube channel where I, I, I read them live, and, and sort of perform them and then react to them in real time. So when I, I got reached out to by someone 
Millen Audio, um, and they were like, "We don't know if you're into this, but I, you know, the 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 engineer, the the editor who was uh, part of the project, um, I was a producer. I'm I'm le- still learning all the terms, but the producer was like, I'm kind of, you know, enraptured by all of your YouTube videos of you reading." So you kind of technically have experience. Would you be interested in reading your own audiobook? Um, you know, and I, I went back and forth with them because I was at, like, how much, my book, very long. How long is that going to take? How much time do you need? And, you know, we basically determined it would happen, that we would just need a week to do it. And so what? to give you an idea of the timeline. A, a week, week to I re- do it. Hold on. Hold on. I'm gonna, <laughs> here's the thing. I, didn't, I went into this. I had a, a convention at the beginning of May where I talked to uh, my friend Mary Robinette Paul, who is a, a tour author, and uh, one of her many jobs is she records audiobooks for, you know, for a living. So I had a very brief, like, 30-minute crash course of this is what it's like to record an audiobook. Here are the things you should know. You know, she taught me how – you, you, you're in a booth. You sit in a booth. You have headphones on that are, like, the over-the-ear kind. The booth is utterly quiet. You cannot move at all. Any because the mic is so sensitive because they 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 don't want you to necessarily shout. Um, and so you know she taught me like this is how you sit. This is what you're going to need to say if you need a break. Um, she taught me like you know the normal recording style versus punch in, uh, which is where you if you if you mess up while you're doing it, you just say run it again and they back you up to the last completed line you did. They play it and then you just jump back in. Um, so, you know, they were like, we think you can do the first sort of draft of it in a week, and then we'll call you back the next week to fix all the mistakes. And uh, as it turns out, uh, I am one of the fastest audiobook recorders that this guy, the engineer, had ever dealt with. He's like, do you read for a living? How are you so good at this? And I was like, well, technically, I kind of do already. Um, but they, even then, you... Okay, I would actually like, can I do the audiobook voice? Because you actually have to have a voice. You can't talk like this, like right. how I'm speaking to you. Because people, when they listen to audiobooks, like to um, uh, speed it up. Which means when you're sitting there, you have to speak at a certain cadence and you have to lower your voice to make it slower so that when someone fast forwards it, it doesn't have like the I'm on helium and everything sounds yes. terrible. Okay. So the way the guy taught it, like I sat down. He's like, okay, let's have you do like the first couple pages. And I did it like this, like I was talking. And then he's like, I'm going to stop you. And he's like, have you ever listened to an audiobook? And I was like, no, really. I'm a really fast reader, so I don't really need audiobooks. And he's like, we're going to listen to one because you are going way too fast. Um, and so we listened to one, and I was like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm not doing this right at all. So um, I'm, I'm going to – what do I have to read in front of me? Everything I have is closed. Hold on. Let me read this. So basically you have to think of it. Um, as every sentence is a set, uh, like the cadence is, is every sentence is like three words at a time. And you think of, I'm going to read these three words and then go to the next one and then go to the next one. And you sort of have to like, uh, um, it's very, it's very bizarre and not natural at all. So, uh, I'm going to do, oh my God, this is going to be a hot mess. I'm so excited. (laughs) So this is the so for this is the first the first um, opening lines of of anger is a gift. So we've been talking. All of your lovely listeners have been hearing our the way we speak. You can't do that in an audiobook. You have to do it like this. 
he saw the lights first, blue and red, flashing in a regular pattern. Lots of them scattered south of the station in the parking lot, and he couldn't help himself. And so when you're doing this, you have to keep your voice very low. <laughs> very controlled. It's super controlled. But then that means when you get to the more emotional scenes, those that he was like, you can ham those up. you know. Um, but if you yell, you have to lean your head back and arc your voice so it goes over the <laughs> microphone. It's this whole involved process. So he's always like, let me know like three or four lines before if you're ready for the yelling voice. And so it would be this thing where I'd be reading. I'd be reading like this, and then I would stop and be like, okay, Joe, it's dealing with time. And then I would lean back, and I would, like, shout whatever I had to do or be, like, very emotional. Um, and so I recorded seven to eight hours a day for four and a half days and then oh, came boy. back the next week and did, like, an hour of the mistakes. One of them being uh, I, I did the whole audiobook and then was listening to a sample and realized that I had pronounced Eugenia's name wrong the entire time. Uh, I don't know. How, I don't know why. Like, I know how to say her name. But I was listening to this and I was like, why do I keep saying Eugenia? That's not her name. You had. Oh, my. And I emailed him and I was like, I need to fix every single one of these. And they're like, OK, OK, we'll have you come back in. Um, I finished that audio book on or I finished recording it on May 13th and it came out nine days later. <laughs> It was Whoa. incredibly, <laughs> it was a very intense. Well, here's the other thing is like, I had to relive the whole book and act yeah. it out. Yeah, It was intense. Like I was like, this is, I forgot how I wrote this and I forgot how intense it was. So, um, you know, especially towards the end, like, like the engineer was like, I need a break. Like we would have certain scenes and he's like, I need to go outside. This is like, this is, this is wild. Um, so yeah, it was it was really exciting and very surreal. Um, but it, I think I'll say this, that one of the coolest parts about it is I'll be at like a fest or something like that. And someone will be like, wait, where have I heard that voice from? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. And they're like, are you the audiobook voice? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's me. That I did my audiobook. See, that's amazing because that means you are Moss's voice. Yeah, it, got, it was really cool. I really That's enjoyed cool. doing it. I don't know that I would do it for every book. Um, I would begin. I mean, spoiler alert to anyone listening: I'll do your audiobook. Hey, hey! <laughs> it was really fun. I had a really good time. Those offices are just—they're super swanky, and cool. you get as much as much tea as you can drink. <laughs> which is a lot because your all voice tea, goes all the yeah, your voice goes like six hours in and you have to start drinking like in between every paragraph paragraph it's wild oh that's amazing yeah well mark listen it's been a ton of fun but we we're out of time and there was there's so much there's so much i'm there's gonna so need to catch you on book tour round two festivals round two. i'm gonna have to catch you because i I just can't. I need to so also much. find a group of people that have read this book so that we can also talk. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let me just go there, here. Thank you so much for writing this story. Thank you so much for listening to Moss and for hearing what he wanted to share with everyone. Thanks so for, for as you said, I wouldn't even get into it, but for how much of you, how much of your childhood is on this page and for how much you explored sort of an alternate childhood as well. And you did it so, 
so truthfully with such such commitment to to just being real on the page for your readers. It, Thank you. It, it was it's an outstanding accomplishment, man. I really I really love your book, and it's gonna stick with me for a long time. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for this conversation that I thought was only 15 minutes long. And I just looked, I'm like, wait, is it? Oh my God. How did we talk that long? It's effortless. It was so much fun. Thank you so much. Well, I, I, you know, it's been a lot of fun for me, but I do want to make sure before we go that we, we stop and take time to address your readers, that we leave you with that last word for them, because that's where this all comes from. So Mark, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning, as people listening to this will as well, all ages. Is there a message that I, that we, can bring to readers from you? I think my main thing that I wanted to sort of get across in anger is a gift. And, you know, it's really my politics in general is the sense that we need to trust ourselves. And I think that's something that I wish I had heard more as a teenager, as a kid too, is to trust the things that you're feeling, particularly if you feel that something is wrong. I think we're conditioned to, to hide that and to bury it deep. Um, so trust your kids and trust that, that they do know what they're talking about and, and help them grow by, by teaching them to trust themselves. This is Darshna Kiani, children's author and book blogger. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.flowering-minds.com forward slash South Asian Kidlet. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out with the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny Sue, Amy, Kate, Darshana, Nicole, Jarrett, Mike, Link, Anitra, Lynn, Cynthia, Doug, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Judy, Karina, Teresa, Elaine, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You are welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. 
The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.